What up, everyone? This is David Marver of Change the Padres, joining you for an impromptu. I, I wouldn't call this a podcast. This is more like a, a rant. But uh, some important news in Padres land today. I don't know if any of you missed it. I imagine that if you're listening to this, you saw it, or at least heard of it. You might have been busy out on your Saturday. I love that they dropped this on a Saturday. Uh, but anyways, I'm going to break down Kevin AC's latest article in the Union Tribune. I know, it's uh, it seems rare that I would read a Kevin AC article and rebuttal it. And to be clear, most of my rebuttal is not to Kevin AC. It's to the crux of what's being stated in the article, which is uh, the title here, Look at Padres Books Shows Debt Reduction Has Team in Position to Spend. And... There are many uh, faux logic leaps within this article, uh, some points that Pottery's ownership makes which are not salient, uh, some other things that sound like excuses, and uh, I just want to explain this all and also just rebut Ron Fowler pretty directly here on some of the things he says. Now, before I get started, um, I know a lot of you like dunking on Kevin Acey on Twitter with good reason. Uh, I feel like today he does deserve some dunking, not for the article, I don't think, um, actually, and I'll get to that in a little bit, but more in his reaction, uh, defending himself online over it. Um, I do think uh, some of the points people are making are true in terms of he basically just regurgitating whatever ownership wants him to write, and that's a fair criticism. However, I am glad still that he published it. Uh, Obviously, some of the stuff in here is important. It gives you a good view into how the owners think, unfortunately, but also, you know, some of it's actually novel information that we didn't have before. However, I do want to start by critiquing his characterization of this post, Kevin Acey's characterization of it. Um, So there's no actual look at the Padres books. I think there's, this is a, a misnomer. The Padres have stated some things about their books, and we'll get to those individual points, But that's not the same as actually opening their books and showing us their books. There's no open book. I mean, that's – to give you an analogy, if you're playing poker with someone and uh, they start talking at the table, you know, some table talk in the middle of the hand about how they have a two, right, in their hand, uh, that's not them showing you their cards, right? They, They didn't show you their cards. They're talking about an incomplete set of part of their cards. Whether you're going to believe they have a two or not, and you know maybe it's more indicative of them possibly having a two than otherwise, and random cards being dealt out. You know the the point here is that they're not actually showing you that they have it. They're they want you to believe they might have it, right? And so I think there's a subtle difference here between stating at the top that the a look at the Padres books shows this. There's no actual look at the books. There are some revenue figures quoted therein. There's some other lessons the Padres say they have learned, and we'll get to that. But there's they haven't actually showed us the books, right? And there might be some logical reasons why they can't show us their books. But at the end of the day, we can't say that they have shown us their books. Again, back to the poker analogy, they've basically just told us about a subset of the books. And so I want to make sure that point is clear, because there's a bit of confusion there's some congratulatory bullshit that Kevin Acey's putting out there for the Padres, reaching out to their fans like this. Obviously, many times on the podcast, not just on the podcast, but going back to the original founding Change the Padres documentary, we've been asking for an open look at the books for quite a long period of time. And the Padres could do that. I mean, they, they could. They'd have to probably leap through some legal hurdles. They could even pull a couple of Padres bloggers aside and show us the books and have us sign some NDA documents and, and whatnot. But... 
in any case, I just want to make it very clear. This is not an open look at their books. This is an incomplete view of what they want us to believe are in their books and their justification for their current uh, non-spending habits this offseason. So let's just get that out of the way before I start. I'm actually going to read the entire article. So for some of you who have read this article, it might seem a little redundant, but I actually have problems and I find logical fallacies throughout the entire article. So I'm just not going to parse my words here. I'm just going to read it and directly respond to it. Um, So yeah, uh, buckle in. Okay, so the article starts out as such, quote, It was perhaps the least sexy and heretofore least heralded of any signing in Padres history, but it may prove to be one of the most crucial. Ooh. In fact, it involved hundreds of signatures on thousands of pages of documents. The transaction that Padres considered one of the final pieces in the turning point of a franchise was not orchestrated by general manager A.J. Preller, but instead by executive chairman Ron Fowler, general partner Peter Seidler, chief financial officer Ron DeCidio, president of business operations Eric Grubner, and general counsel Caroline Perry. The pivotal move this group pulled off was refinancing of the burdensome debt the team inherited from previous owner John Moores. Gaining financial freedom has been at the crux of the Padres' business model to this point under this ownership group, which is about to embark on its seventh full season of control. I'm drinking a beer, by the way. You must drink a beer if you're reading this. That was a key point that came out of a 90-minute meeting earlier this month with uh, Fowler and Cedillo, in which facets of the team's finances were shared and spending decisions were explained to the Union Tribune. Okay, so just to go back to my initial point here, so that's the end of the, the beginning of the article here. Uh, very clearly, the Padres did not show their books, right? They Again, I, I just want to make sure we drive this point home. They have taken an audience that would well, you know, the the Union Tribune has shown a large and long history of regurgitating information that ownership wants to fans to hear in a way that is non-critical, generally speaking. So they have taken aside what sounds like a subset of the Union Tribune. I'm going to go ahead and guess this is maybe Kevin Acey and, I don't know, potentially a couple other people from the Union Tribune. And... Uh, facets of the team finances were shared. So I'm guessing, you know, maybe they actually did have a book, but my guess is they probably had, you know, like a PowerPoint presentation or some small booklet of information that they didn't let them keep where they basically outlined a little bit of this information. Now, I wish Kevin Acey would have divulged a little bit more in terms of how the meeting uh, went down um, and like what they were showing. Um, But you know, this is not necessarily the be-all, end-all books, right? There's no open books. So I just want to make sure we drive that point home uh, before we get too far into the process here. So uh, continuing onwards, quote, the caveat from the club was that many of the numbers shared herein had to be general, okay? The Potters are a private company and one of 30 members of a greater private organization. One member does not have the prerogative to make public financial data. Major League Baseball is not approved for release. And that's fine. Um, but you could, you can do other things to get around this. If you really wanted to prove it to your fan base, you absolutely could divulge a decent amount of this information to a, to a fan or subset of fans. You could even temporarily call them part of the organization and make them sign a non-disclosure agreement and do it, right? There are ways to do it, even if they're being lazy and just bringing in, uh, one person from the media to, to listen to them. So, and anyways... Quote, even without divulging many specific dollar amounts, a vivid picture is painted of a team intent on getting its house in order. With a $15 million cash call from ownership and a portion of the proceeds from a one-time MLB payment, 
The Padres paid a $28 million make whole penalty as part of the 2017 fi- refinance. That steep price was up to $40 million lower than the penalty would have had it been paid sooner. The refinance allowed the Padres to decrease the percentage of their annual budget that goes to interest payments from about 5% to about 2%, a difference of $8 million per year between 2015 and 2018, and thus go forward drawing on their line of credit at a much lower interest rate with fewer restrictions. The refinance debt also includes much lower minimal principal payments, which adds to the Padres' financial flexibility. Quote, it was ransom, Fowler said. End quote. All right, so uh, just to break down these numbers a little bit, and to talk about what's going on. The Padres essentially here are blaming the new ballpark for part of their problems. Because this debt that was refinanced by John Moores uh, went into the actual purchase of the land downtown, went into the construction of the ballpark, and went into various other you know pieces of that puzzle, repaying interest on that debt, for example, and so on. So basically, the Padres, for years, back in the 90s, and it actually goes back to the 70s. In the 70s, the Padres threatened to leave and go to Washington, D.C. They actually had uniforms made up for those teams in order to uh, better broadcast the threat. They actually had Washington, D.C. Padres uniforms made. I'm not making this fact up. It's a bona fide fact. Uh, and so and then in the 90s, and you know, a lot of people, I guess, for whatever reason, Ted Mendenhall, who does some UCSD uh, broadcasts online, has been saying today Fowler or uh, Moore's never threatened to leave. That's absolutely false. The Padres did threaten to leave. In no uncertain terms, Kevin, uh, uh, no, uh, John Moore said that, quote, the Padres were a free agent after 1999, referring to the fact that they didn't have a ballpark agreement after that date and were free to move wherever they wanted. There was certainly a lot of pressure applied on the city to build a ballpark in order to keep the club. In addition to that, the Padres many times during the 90s stated that if the Padres wanted, or if the fans wanted the Padres to be competitive going forward, uh, that unfortunately that would mean that the Padres needed to actually um, have a new stadium so they could bring in more revenue through you know having uh, you know nicer club seating for the more uh, affluent fans um, and, and you know and just be able to charge more in general for a better experience and that was part of their pitch to the voter on why they needed a new stadium and so now you know you know two decades later after the stadium has been built. Potters have moved in. They've had an increase of um, attendance, you know, per average compared to then. They even had some years at the very beginning where Roger or Rod, I don't know why I keep saying Roger, where John Moores fulfilled that part and had the Padres spending at a higher lev- uh, level of, um, you know, compared to uh, the rest of the league versus where they are today. I think that, you know, the Padres at some points in time were close to league average, if not around league average in terms of spending, or at least in the median of team spending at the very beginning when they moved into Petco. That is not the case now, and they have not done that at any point during the Fowler tenure, and that includes the years that he was a minority owner under John Moore, uh, over uh, under Jeff Morad. So uh, this whole point to me um, proves, you know, first of all, I want to put this into the context of the Chargers who just left town. I could not be more proud that we did not give that asshole a stadium, right, because you know, even the Padres, who I guess are run better than the Charger, now they are, um, have stated here that the new stadium is the cause of why they're not spending, which obviously is maddening, right, to a voter, to someone who paid or did pay taxes in the city of San Diego, thank God I don't anymore, that that money, which was set aside and, you know, we partnered with the San Diego Padres to build the stadium, uh, unfortunately, they're now saying that their promise of being able to increase spending with that new stadium 
is not the case because of this burdensome debt of building the stadium. So there's this catch-22. It's where we either have the team, because they would have moved without a new stadium, or so they threatened, or we have the team and they just continue to spend at the same shit level and blame the fact that they have this new stadium, which kept them here, for that. And so it's a really it's really maddening as a Padres fan to hear that. The second thing I want to point here is the fact that this payment of $8 million a year, I mean, that's nothing. Right in the grand scheme of baseball spending, we're not complaining the Padres aren't. You know what's their what's their spending going to be this year? Eighty million. We're not complaining that it's not eighty-eight million. Right. We're complaining that it's not one hundred and thirty-five million, which is what it should be. Right. I mean, that's it's not even league average at that point. That's still below league average, but that's at least closer to half of the revenue. Um, that is what would field the competitive ball club if you look at the history of teams who have won the World Series over the last twenty years since free agency has proliferated and. And, you know, analytics has come alive. You, you still have to spend a lot of money in order to win World Series titles. And uh, so $8 million, you know, that's that's Ian Kinsler. That's what we're going to pay Garrett Richards this year to do fucking nothing, to sit there and do nothing. We're going to pay him that much this year. So uh, this line is also just not, you know, it doesn't do anything for me. It seems like a pretty small amount of debt in the grand scheme of things. Um, but again, uh, this is not... You know, the Padres owners don't see this as a baseball team, right? Unfortunately, baseball has devolved from a sport about winning and losing way back in the day to a business, which is an investment for the owners. And so the owners look at this and they don't see it as, uh, unfortunately, as a baseball decision. They see it as uh, acquiring a more lucrative asset, right, by paying down debt. They're essentially taking money that we've given them, right, either through listening through MLB radio, that payment, or whether it's directly giving them money at the concessions or through ticket sales, and they've taken that money and paid down debt on their own asset, right? So we've essentially taken money out of our pockets. We've put it into one of their pockets, which is Padres Revenue. They took it out of the Padres Revenue pocket and put it into their other pocket, which is the value of my asset, right? And don't get this as me uh, ranting about modern capitalism. I'm libertarian, so I get it. But at the same time, as a fan, I can point at them and be like, you're a fucking shitty owner for doing this, right? There's nothing incorrect in what I'm saying when I say that or inconsistent. It's frustrating, right? If you're not in it, if you're an owner and you're not in it to actually win baseball games, if you're in it because you want a uh, an asset that will pay you a higher rate of return year over year, um, and is a relatively safe return, I think you're in baseball ownership for the wrong reasons. And I ask, honestly, if that's what the O'Malley's, the Sidlers, and Fowler, if that's what you're doing, please sell your portion of the team. Please. I don't care if it ends up going to another Jeff Morad. I don't want it to be you, right? And so I'll take the risk of another shitty owner. That We've taken that risk many times. All right, back to the article. Quote, he referred to the terms and interest rate on the $130 million debts, bonds, balance for Petco Park and the Park Aid construction. Moore's mired in other financial bogs outside baseball had been compelled in 2004 to agree to backing from bondholders that included a retirement fund and insurance companies at a blended rate of 8.5%, about double the prime rate at the time. Getting out from under that mountain has been Fowler's Everest, with the exception of a few detours. All paths have led to this point. Quote, I knew when I was working on this deal with John Moores, we had to inherit this very expensive debt, Sadler said. Quote, the expectation was there would come a time we could refinance and it would accelerate our financial capacity. Knowing how skilled Ron is organizing a buzzet, budget and how skilled Rhonda is executing a budget, it's heartening it all came together as it did. End quote. 
So just to, to, to recap that point. So basically, the Padres purchased the team knowing this debt existed. They've said they purchased it knowing this debt existed. So now to complain about it, maybe they shouldn't have purchased the team. I mean, that's the that's the conclusion that I'm drawing from you know the scenario where uh, they're they're working on a deal and ex- and qu- inheriting quote very expensive debt. Seidler's words. Uh, and the expectations there is that there would come a time they could refinance and it would accelerate their financial capacity. So they knew they were purchasing the team with this. So to complain about it now is really them complaining about their own decision-making back when they purchased the team. I mean, that's the first and foremost thing that I would say. The second is that, you know, they've never really mentioned this until now. Tom Garfinkel talked about the heavy ballpark debt structure. And again, complaining about the ballpark is a non-starter for me. But... Uh, the Padres actually, Seidler and Fowler, when they purchased the team, and they talked about this at Padres Fan Fest 2013, and I wish I could splice in the auto, audio for you, and maybe I will here during uh, an edit, but, um, you know, they stated multiple times that payroll would go up, quote, on an ordin- ordin- orderly basis, right? And they stated other things like, we know we have to grow the payroll, and, um, you know, so... To now retrospectively look back and and look at the the way their payroll has bounced around and it's gone up and down over the various years. It has not gone up in an orderly fashion, right? It's been pretty stagnant recently. It's never approached even team, you know, league median, let alone anywhere close to league average. Um, you know, these these are empty statements, right? These are first of all, they're they're using an excuse now that they knew at the time they purchased a team in order to excuse themselves for not meeting the obligations they talked about at their first Padres Fan Fest in 2013. That's really what it comes down to to me. So essentially they're fucking liars. Uh, And they were underfinanced when they said they were overfinanced and so on and so forth. So very frustrating. (laughs) Uh, But let's continue. Quote, they have spent 88% of the money they have taken in operating the team in ballpark, including local revenues, tickets, concessions, sponsorships, etc., and revenue paid by MOB which would include national television licensing, etc. While 4% has gone toward debt reduction and 5% towards interest payments. The other 3% has gone toward capital improvements at Petco Park. Okay, so let's let's break down this one. And I know I'm going uh, pretty minutely here, but there's just so much to unpack. So first of all, I don't believe that 88% number. So the general consensus, if you look across Major League Baseball, is that teams will spend roughly half of their operating revenue, half of all the revenue they bring in basically on the actual payroll, right? And so um, here what the Potters are saying is that 38, if, if they met that 50%, then 38% would go towards other things and then 4% towards debt and 5% towards interest payments. So, you know, there's there's no composition of that 88%. And I guess when I say I don't believe them, I don't, I don't believe that 88% has gone back into the actual baseball team. Right, be it through paying scouts, through signing international players, through major league payrolls, through paying ushers at the ballpark, anything actually related to the baseball team and not other assets. Right. So, uh, you know, when when AC again says that they've opened the books or the books have been opened, that is not the case. This is someone just describing their poker hand to us. It's whether you know whether or not you believe them, and and I think given the evidence, multitude of evidence over time. I just don't buy that number. But in any case, what they have said is that 9% of the revenue they've taken in has gone towards basically 
increasing the value of their asset rather than on the baseball team, right? And then the other 3%, which have gone to capital improvements at Petco Park, they don't deserve any credit for that. And you might be saying, oh, they're, you know, it's so nice, we got to credit them. No, like by law, by their joint use uh, memorandum on how they got the ballpark, there are stipulations in there which have, were crafted by local congressmen, including Scott Peters, that basically say, uh, basically say that they must keep Petco Park an A-class ballpark. That includes doing whatever is necessary in terms of upgrading facilities or, you know, keeping the different concourses in tip-top shape, you know, any renovations that have to happen, all that stuff, they, they are required to do that by law. And actually, the city of San Diego fits the bill on a large portion of this. If it's not baseball-related, the city of San Diego, I believe, will split split it down the middle with them. Um, but if it's only baseball-related upkeep, like repainting seats, the Padres, again, through getting the new stadium, that was part of the agreement they made with us. And so to now complain about that retrospectively just rings hollow to me. Um, so, you know, again, uh, a little bit of... Um, perhaps some uh, fake numbers here, the 88%. I, I just, you know, without actually having the books open in front of us, it's really difficult to consume that information. But at the very least, we can uh, say that they are stating that 9% of the money we give them goes basically directly back into the pockets in other forms by reducing debt or paying down interest payments that otherwise increase the value of the asset, but don't actually improve the baseball team. Um, okay. Uh, continuing. Quote, we had to do it this way, Fowler said. We are not particularly proud of some of it. Well, yeah. Uh, given the circumstances, some of their own making and some of which predated them, the team's ownership actually feels confident about the way they have gone about their business. Uh, and then Kevin Acey here uh, opines, quote, the numbers the Padres shared underscore the patience and faith the team is both exercising and asking for, uh, end quote. And I'm highlighting that one because... Uh, there's not too much here that I think AC deserves a bashing for. I think I've already hit on the uh, showing your cards part quite a bit, but this one here where he's basically gone and described interesting stuff to us that the team presented to them, which are you know the 88% figure I just quoted above, actual quotes from ownership, and then he's input his own uh, logical reasonings and opinions in there. And those are the areas that I think uh, his editor should have taken out and said, hey, that's fucking garbage. Throw that out of this article. Um, okay, so continuing, quote, they also give context to the financial machinations during the first half dozen years of this ownership group and why at the same time the value of the team has increased from the $600 million purchase price in 2012 to an estimated $1.2 billion. The Padres have made a relatively meager investment in Major League personnel, right? So, yeah, I mean, a lot of that underscores you know, what, what's happened to the money, right? They purchased a team for $600 million back in 2012, and now it's estimated to be worth $1.2 billion. Obviously, there are some macroeconomic things that go into that, and if you look at the market or you follow the market at all, it's been pretty fucking good since 2012. Like, your, your money's gone pretty far, so I'm not surprised to see that. But certainly a large portion of that is the fact they've just taken money out of one pocket that you gave them and put it into the other pocket, which is basically their asset, right? Um, there's a there's a quote here um, uh, from a guy named David Carter, executive director at the University of Southern California. I'm actually not going to read that quote. I'm just going to skip ahead to the next section, which is uh, titled Three Main Points. Quote, essentially the peek into the Padres books revealed three crucial points. 
I'm going <laughs> to stop after that. Again, it's not a peek into the books, right? They didn't look at their books. The Padres likely presented uh, snippets of information that they are alleging is from the books, but they didn't actually show the books. There's no opening and showing of the books. I just want to continue to emphasize that point. All right, continuing. Quote, first, only $35 million in capital calls from ownership and $68 million in payments from MLB's sale of its technology arm, BAMTech, has kept the team at break-even on a cash basis. All right, just to recap here, the, the Padres are basically saying that they've had to raise $35 million uh, by calling different owners within the ownership group and asking for money directly. Those are your capital calls. Uh, and $68 million uh, from the, their share of the sale of basically Major League Baseball's technology arm, which include baseball radio and other things like that, uh, BAM Tech. They're saying that's all that's kept them afloat, that the whole stashing of money uh, for years and years, you know, first of all, going back through the Morad years, all that money they didn't spend, clearly it wasn't saved and spent forward, right? Because then they would be using that money. Um, even during this administration, they're basically saying that there's no such thing as uh, capital overflow, right? That they're not actually turning a profit from this, which I think is probably garbage, right? I think... Uh, you can make books say well, almost whatever you want. There's some famous quotes about this from some accountants, but I think I have a hard time believing, as do you, and so should everyone because we don't actually see their books, that they aren't actually making money. And regardless of the fact of whether or not the Padres are break even, the fact that they're taking some of this money to pay off debt and pay off interests is, again, going out of one pocket and into another. So... Even if the team was losing money, if some of that money is improving the value of the asset, the owners themselves are still making a hefty amount of money. So just want to continue to emphasize this point because uh, AC is a little sloppy with the terminology here and it leads to some conflation in your brain in terms of uh, what's actually being said. Okay, so the second main point, quote, second, the team has invested heavily in infrastructure, both in terms of its ballpark and its minor league system, end quote. Okay, so again, this is... And, and, and none of these are quotes. I, I'm guessing these are three main points that, that the Padres presented to Kevin Nacy that he has now regurgitated onto a piece of paper, copy-pasted for us. Um, so they're making two claims here. Uh, the first, they've heavily invested in the ballpark. We just touched on that. They're required to buy the uh, joint use agreement to do that, so no credit awarded there. Uh, and it's minor league system, sure. They definitely have made uh, some infrastructure. You know, I don't know if that includes... The amount of money they've paid to international free agents, which is large, but not larger than that many other teams in baseball. Or if they're referring to other changes they've made up and down the organization, whether it's the uh, Arizona complex or their Dominican complex or whatever it is. Um, possibly even things like how much they're paying scouts and the number of scouts and stuff like that. I'll, I'll give them that. I just don't think this adds up to very much money or that they necessarily deserve too much credit. These are things that every team's doing. Pretty much every team improves its ballpark. Every team improves its minor league system with rare exception. Uh, okay, and third, quote, third, and perhaps most importantly to the fan base going forward, the Padres have extricated themselves from an impressive interest rate and are finally poised to put their money to good use, perhaps as soon as this year and almost certainly within the next two years, end quote. So a couple things I want to do on this one. So impress, oppressive interest rate. Uh, it sounds like that might have been a pretty shitty interest rate that he had, but it's not like it's your credit card interest rate. Like those are going to be 15 to 30 percent. This is still relatively small potatoes, so I, I don't like the term oppressive. Um, they, they, you know, it might. 
I don't necessarily mean to pick points at every word that AC writes here, but I just think he's trying to phrase it in a certain way, and these words matter. And so oppressive interest rate, I look at that, and I think of something much higher than 8%. Um, and, and then I, I love the uh, perhaps as soon as this year, uh, very doubtful, uh, they would need to add, I don't know, like 70 million in payroll before the beginning of the year to start to put any of this, to, to, to like start to make this make any sense. And almost certainly, almost certainly, another word for almost certainly is not certainly. Uh, within the next two years, I don't believe that either. Again, I will believe it when I see it. Continuing here, quote, I think it's about that fan expectation Carter said. It's If they're touting flexibility, I think the fans are going to say flex for us. From a fan perspective, they don't necessarily care about franchise finances. They care about whether or not ownership is going to field a competitive team. So ownership has to turn it around and say, how do we balance financial stability and the fan requirement we we put a competitive product on the field. Uh, and that's the end of that guy's quote. So then it continues, nearly six and a half and six losing seasons after taking over, the ownership group led by Sidler and Fowler says it, it is in a position financially where it can make good on its promise, quote, to field the team worthy of fan support with the goal of competing for a World Series championship each season. That was the top ownership commitment in a sign posted in the Peco Park team store shortly after this group finalized its purchase in August 2012. Basing an assessment solely on Major League Payroll, it would be difficult to ascertain how the Padres have sought to make good on that championship aim. The team is ranked 26th among the top 30 MLB teams in payroll since 2013, according to numbers available on SpotTrack.com. Uh, and while the Padres don't ever plan to be a team that ranks in the top third in payroll, Seidler and Fowler have long pledged to spend what it takes to annually field a team that contends for a championship. They will spend thusly, they say, when it makes a real difference in the standings. Okay, a couple, couple points here. First, um, again, the, the, the last point I want to emphasize. So they said they will spend thusly, they say, when it makes a real difference in the standings. Um, of, course, this, of course, this is like the third or fourth different explanation we've had for when they'll spend, right? When they took the team over, they said it would go up on an orderly basis, that they knew they had to increase payroll, Blah, blah, blah. And now they're, you know, saying only now if it makes a real difference in the standings. Of course, who defines when it will make a real difference in the standings? Is is ownership trying to say now that signing Manny Machado or Bryce Harper would not make a real difference in the standings? I mean, we have statistical measures we can use to say a player is worth this many wins. And this, you know, would obviously wins are what the standings are based on. So um, this is not necessarily clear to me what i'm going to guess is what they're saying by quote real difference is referring to playoff odds and championship odds and that's fair uh but again this makes no fucking sense when you consider the eric hosmer signing offseason because they clearly spent on him when their team was awful and obviously wasn't going to make a push for anything last year now, I was okay with that signing under the guise that it meant that additional players would be brought in over the next couple of years, and they would build a youngerish core to supplement the players coming through the minor league system. Uh, instead, it seems like I, I, I don't I don't really know how to coherently put all these pieces together from will orderly increase payroll and not doing it to having this 2015. Uh, you know, splurge, but really not really. And we'll talk about 2015 a lot more towards the end of this article. Um, and then pulling back that payroll and now saying they'll only spend when it makes a real difference, but having just signed Eric Hosmer. Like all these things don't fit together, which is why I still think this is just a giant load of bullshit. Um, now going back up a little bit further, um, 
so I, I appreciate AC abutting a, a that it would be difficult to ascertain how they've sought to make good in the championship aim. Um, obviously, they've had the team for quite some time and were part of the Morag group before then. So they've had an opportunity to make an impression on fans. And when they first bought the team, they gave us a three- to five-year window. They asked us to judge them at the end of three to five years. Uh, it's now been the end of, I believe, six years. So, uh, yeah, I think this is just kind of moving the goalposts a bit. Also, that 26th among 30 MLB teams in payroll since 2013, that's opening day payroll. The Padres have dropped payroll throughout the season in each of those years. So it's not – I don't think if you actually look at you know all the players on the 25-man roster and whatever other financial commitments they have to players who are hurt or that they've bought out or whatever, um, over the course of the full season, what they've actually paid, I believe they come in 28th, not 26th, but I can forgive him because he did quote his source, and his source does say that they're 26th. So whatever. Uh, continuing on. Quote, and I'm on beer number two now. The state of the roster plays into the timing of such expenditures. The Padres say they plan to supplement a young court of homegrown prospects with a handful of more costly veteran players. They will add those players, they say, when they believe those additions can make up the difference between what they are now and what they hope to be. That most likely after another season of development in 2019 will be 2020 or 2021. It is in the examination of their financial maneuvers over the past four years that a plan to actually be able to do so becomes evident. Okay, we've, we've heard this story many times before, right? I think the, uh, the quote, plan to supplement a young core of homegrown prospects with a handful of more costly veteran players was more or less everything that Tom Garfinkel always told us, right? That they would select a couple of homegrown prospects and, and extend them when the time came due and... And, uh, you know, for the most part, that wasn't adhered to. Um, and so, I mean, particularly with the uh, signing more costly veteran players, right? They might have signed a Cameron Mabin and Corey Lubke and Nick Hundley. These were all small potatoes to begin with. They weren't actually star players. Uh, they weren't, like, very costly contracts. They were, you know, small value bets that, you know, unfortunately didn't work out. But they never actually brought in veterans to play with them, right? We were told many times that would happen and <clears throat> ended up with the Joe Randas and Dave Hansons and Orlando Hudsons of the world, not actual decent veteran players, let alone a star player, right? They've never actually added a star player through free agency. So I don't know about this. It's just mostly uh, regurgitated nonsense we've heard most of the time, um, many times. The only uh, point here I would point at, uh, the main point here to point at is that they've Again, called 2019 a season development, uh, which was kind of what 2018 was and 2017 for sure. Of course, these are all half-assed. They've never actually tanked any of these years to acquire a high draft pick. Uh, they're just sort of coasting along, calling them all development years, signing nobody, and it's predictively led to the same results. Uh, but let's go ahead to the next section titled Wasted Time and Money. So here we have a quote. The four-year period begins in 2015, following a time of transition in which the team president, Tom Garfinkel, and general manager, Josh Burns, the no ownership inherited, were replaced, and the team embarked on a plan to drastically improve Petco Park. I love, I'm just going to jump in here. I love that they've just sort of thrown away the seasons before this where they inherited the team and explicitly said at their initial press conference that they liked uh, what they've seen with Tom Garfinkel, Tom Garfinkel and Josh Burns and felt very confident with the people in charge. You know, obviously, that... That was a poor judgment, especially based on the Anthony Rizzo trade um, and everything that went on with Garfinkel. 
so I like that they have just sort of just thrown that period of time away, not even addressing it, just saying, no, everything starts in 2015 now. Uh, okay, let me continue. It commences in the year in which the newly hired Preller made a splash by acquiring a number of high-priced veterans via trades and free agency. That splurge ultimately proved ill-fated and is among the reasons for the red ink splashed around the Padres' books. In addition to the initial outlay between 2015 and 2016, investments in Matt Kemp, James Shields, Melvin Upton Jr., and others have cost the Padres a net of 50.45. I love that there's two decimal places here. Like that extra 50000 that they pay, like, what, Matt Kemp for three games? Like, that matters. Uh, since the start of 2017, after all those players were gone. In 2019 and 2020, the Padres are on the hook for a net of $28.75 million payable to players no longer with the team. That number shrinks to $8.5 million in 2020 and to zero afterwards, giving the Padres further financial flexibility or money to spend on players that will actually play for them. In addition to the money, Preller's rock star phase burned. That route consumed time. So uh, to recap this, so I think the most important thing here is the fact that they're kind of throwing Preller under the bus. Um that's that's what I'm getting from this part of the article, right? They're kind of pointing that the Rockstar phase burned out um, and that these were all Preller's choices. The Preller made a splash. It wasn't ownership making a splash. It wasn't Mike D's direction making a splash. It was Preller. Now, I want to point out that they hired A.J. Preller, and we've heard based on uh, interviews that, that uh, what's the name, Gomez from ESPN gave to Darren Smith on the Darren Smith show that one of the reasons the Preller may have been hired is that he was one of the only people who interviewed who did not believe a full rebuild was necessary. So the Padres hired someone who had plans to make splashes and to uh, quote-unquote build rather than rebuild and now are blaming him for executing the plan that presumably he presented to them when he first got control of the team Um you know they're now blaming him, even though they made that hiring decision themselves. So that's that's uh, you know generally not something you'd like to see if you're AJ Preller. I don't think this article was uh, very great for you um, in terms of your uh, job stability. I would be a little bit worried if I were him um, based on this. Uh, it's also just you know it's kind of shitty. I mean I, I imagine you know the, part of the reason what he was hired was because the owners liked that plan, and so they should take some ownership of it and not just. Uh, you know, throw him away in a in an article here to Kevin AC um, just to get a little bit of empathy. I think that's a little weak. Quote, The detour also played the biggest role in confirming in the mind of Seidler and Fowler that they would not deviate in that manner ever again. It showed them that there is no guarantee such a splurge will work, and it starkly illustrated how it can hurt. The Padres bump up payroll by $40 million in 2015 and realized just a $15 million increase in ticket and concessions slash merchandise revenue for that year. It really convicted me, Fowler convicted. It really convicted me, Fowler said. I didn't need much change in my belief, but it convinced me that the business model didn't work. We had a blip in terms of revenue, and we dug a big hole for ourselves, end quote. And that's the end of that section of the article. So a couple things here. Uh, <laughs> all right, so uh, the main thing I want to talk about is the fact that Ron Fowler is using one data point to convince him, or sorry, convict him, that a strategy doesn't work. Um, so first of all... Uh, to be clear, 2015 absolutely does not mean that increasing team spending will not correspond to a larger increase in revenue, right? It just shows that it is possible that if you recklessly cram all your spending into one off season, you may end up holding other people's shit, like Matt Kemp is a prime example. But more than anything, uh, the Padres actually did prove directionality. They have admitted here that revenues increased when spending increased. 
it turns out that A.J. Preller was bad in his first attempt at spending such that revenue exceeded incremental expenditures. Uh, Sounds like maybe he should be fired for that. I don't know. But certainly, that does not mean that every increase in spending surely will not result in an equivalent increase in revenue. Uh, You know, that's a conclusion that only someone with no statistical background who impulsively reacts to their most immediate memory would make. That is not the conclusion of a wise person. Uh, And then can we also just talk about how flawed the 2015 strategy was? The biggest reason it failed, in my opinion, was not that spending increased. The biggest reason it failed was because the entirety of the spending increase was forced into a single offseason, where choices are limited. There's only a, you know, a finite number of people that are available. There are other teams pursuing players, and so you're not, you're not going to be able to fill your holes in one offseason. Uh, furthermore, every team understands you're trying to add payroll, so leverage isn't available via trades. That's why you end up trading valuable players like Yasmani Grandal for fucking Matt Kemp, or you end up trading super good prospects like Trey Turner in exchange for, you know, uh, Will Myers. You know, these are suboptimal moves that you're forced into making because you've lost leverage and you don't have as many choices, right? Um, They also, you know, going further on that, they spent poorly that offseason, right? There's no good evidence, for example, that I'd make a great general manager, but even my plan to compete, which was published on our website before that offseason, would have been considerably better. You know, I would have just blown my whole load on Max Scherzer, a contract, a large contract, which has worked out well, and sold high from positions of strength like Tyson Ross or the fact that you had Yasmani Grandal and Austin Hedges to acquire another bat or two. Instead, they half asset it with James Shields and shipped out legitimate talent, which we've already mentioned, like Trey Turner, Yasmani Grandal, in order to acquire borderline talent in a bad contract. So, look, I, I think, you know, you have to be able to look at what has happened and rationalize whether that's actually predictive of every situation going forward or if it's just one data point, why is this data point different than the expectation? It sounds like Ron Fowler is not wise enough to do that. And so unfortunately, we're being controlled by someone who's an impulsive uh, reactionary. Okay, continuing onwards, quote, Of course, that experiment did not lead to winning. The Potters were 10 games out by the All-Star break in 2015, by which time they already had fired manager Bud Black and finished 74-88. and 88. They started selling off the expensive parts the following offseason, and had subtracted every one of the high-priced additions by August of that season. The team acknowledges sustained success on the field can lead to a swell in receipts. That is why they say it was crucial to get to the point where they can invest in veteran on-field talent. Chief towards attaining that financial flexibility was paying down $77 million of the inherited total of $193 million of debt since taking over. Of that, $45 million came out of the $50 million BAMTEC payment last year. The other significant part of that plan was an investment in a minor league system that has over the past three years come to be seen almost universally as the best in baseball with 10 of the game's top 100 prospects, according to MLB.com. Okay, so to recap, yeah, I mean, everyone knows that that experiment, quote-unquote, didn't work, and it didn't work for the reasons I outlined above. It didn't work not because they spent additional money. Additional money is required in order to win. It worked because they crammed all of that into one offseason instead of investing on an orderly basis over time like they had promised when they initially got hold of the team. It's something that I've been bantering about for years and years that, you know, every free agent period, there's only a finite number of players available, many of whom are not values. So if you want to build up a roster and fill holes that you have, you need to be signing players over a number of off-seasons or looking to trade for expiring pieces over a number of off-seasons, not just one, because otherwise 
you can't get everything you need at a reasonable price. It's it's guaranteed to fail. And so they basically did an experiment that set themselves up to fail and are now pointing at that for why they are siphoning team funds and putting it into their own asset to retain their own money. So, uh, but I also want to point out that they are stating that they had $193 million of debt when they took the club over, which <laughs> coincidentally is the size of that television deal they got that they let Jeff Morad and John Moores walk away with. So, uh, surprise, uh, it seems like we got totally fucked by that deal, which I actually will blame on Bud Selig and Major League Baseball for allowing that to take place when the ownership was tentative. They should not have allowed that to happen because essentially it allowed the team to get a $200 million payment up front rather than amortized over a certain number of years, which then became part liquid, a liquid part of the team, which the owners took with them out the door. Uh, and again, the owners who bought the team here knew that. In fact, part of that $193 million or that $200, or sorry, the $200 million payment they got for the TV deal uh, did belong to Ron Fowler, who then used that money to purchase the team itself. So basically, he took money out of the Padres and put it into his own pocket to, to, to take some of the team. Um, this is not news to us. I'm just restating and, and rephrasing a lot of the stuff that's said here because if you're a layperson who hasn't been around the Padres very much, some of this might be new to you, and uh, you might be a little empathetic, but um, I don't think any of this deserves any empathy at all. Um, okay, so the next section, they t- start to talk about the plan. So, quote, out of the ashes of 2015, the Padres created an entirely new plan, foremost that required a $79.8 million expenditure in the international market in 2016, $42.3 million in signing bonuses paid to teenagers from Latin American countries, and a $37.5 million penalty for going over their allotted pool of money to do so. Additionally, the Padres paid almost $13 million in bonuses to their amateur draft picks that season to help pay the overage penalty and made a cash call to all members of the ownership group to the tune of $20 million. The idea was a number of the highly tied players would be ready to make up the bulk of a contending team by 2000, what? 2020 and 2021. About that time, the Padres would have the financial freedom to round out the roster. Further, the continual restocking of the system is meant to make winning a perennial possibility. All right, so just to unpack some of that, um, yes, they made a commitment financially to the international free agent market. This is not unlike a bunch of other teams. In fact, I think there's there's more than more than ten teams. I think it's closer to like twelve to fourteen that have gone over their allotted pool of money at some point in the past few years, doing exactly what the Padres did at different points in, at a different point in time. Whether it's Teams who did it the same offseason as the Padres, teams who did it a year before the Padres, like the Dodgers, teams who did it in an offseason following the Padres. Um, there have been a lot of teams that have done this, so this isn't necessarily a major advantage. right? We can talk. It's not like they took the whole $150 million payroll and spent $150 million internationally and fielded a team of minimum players that would earn $12.5 million. They didn't do that, right? They did basically what a bunch of other teams did, and they are now are trying to blame their financial woes on that. Whereas the other teams who have done that are not making that excuse, right? They're not making that excuse. They're saying, you know, other things, or they're not even making excuses because they're winning games and they have high payrolls in addition to the international spending. Um, I also, I said what while I was reading this because they thought that these highly touted young players would be ready by 2020, 2021. Uh, I don't know if they've followed international free agents too much, but that's not the speed in which they make the Major League roster. Right, so they were hiring 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, um, in 2016, signing them. 
for them to be ready at 2020, they're 20 years old. And only the absolute best of best prospects will ever debut at 20, let alone 21 or 22. You know, you're talking about last year, Okuna, um, perhaps Fernando Tatis Jr. this year, but that's a, he wasn't an international free agent signing by the Padres. There are just not many examples of players coming up at the age of 20 and 21 as international free agent signings. So uh, that plan seems a little strange. I'm, I'm kind of concerned that that was the plan because that just seems like bad mathematics, very basic arithmetic. Um, okay, continuing on. Quote, that is in contrast to the Padres history, which includes five playoff appearances in 50 seasons. Essentially, theirs has been a lightning in a bottle approach where trades, the occasional free agent, and the even rarer homegrown talent conspire for a contending season or two at a time. The relatively haphazard spending from year to year and lack of a fruitful farm system created a revolving door of sorts for many of the team's high-priced players. <laughs> Quote, we could probably do one of two things, Fowler said. We could probably afford to spend more and still not be near the top in payroll over the long term and win somewhere between 78 and 84 games each year, or we can do what we are doing. That is to have a lot of young guys who we think are very talented, get them some experience, get them up here, surround them with a couple veteran leaders who can do what needs to be done and continue to, continue to add. Said Seidler, quote, I think we're on the verge of that coming together in the next couple years and over the next decade, end quote. All right, so, yeah, I mean, I guess the paragraph on the Potter's history, doesn't everyone know the Potter's history? They don't develop players. Uh, they don't keep them when they do develop them. They don't sign players in free agency uh, with rare exception, right? So that's kind of a throwaway one. The thing here... I love how Fowler phrases this that there's only two things they could do. Like there's only there's only two possible ideas. <laughs> we could either spend a little bit more and still be bad, or we could not spend at all and then over time we'll magically spend money and be good. Um, like those are the only two options possible. Like like we couldn't think of a third one. Like, I don't know, sign a twenty six year old superstar like Bryce Harper in the middle of their career, uh, when you only have thirteen million dollars committed past two thousand twenty three. You know, I, I I think those are alternative plans that, that people could make that would bring in a five-plus-win player year over year for the next decade, and then you only have to hope some of them are good. And the other the other problem with, with this plan of, yeah, once the players are up here and they're good, then we'll surround them. Again, you're limiting yourself to only, what, one offseason? What if, I mean, seriously, what if Fernando Tatis Jr. comes up this year and... Uh, Logan Allen and uh, you know Luis Urias and all the other young players they've brought up and some of the outfielders. Let's say Renfro breaks out and Hedges has a great year or Mejia has a great year, um, and they're an eighty-win ball club. You know that's not out of the realm of possibilities. I, I think it's um, above expectation and certainly maybe you know top twenty-five percentile, but it's not impossible that happens now. Now you're in a situation where your team could have been good this year had you signed veteran players in free agency proactively, right? You could have won 86, 88 games if you had added more players in free agency this year, um, but they didn't do that. So they would have wasted that first year of those players being good. Secondarily, once they come up and they're good, um, you know, how many of them have to be good? You know, where does, where does, the, where does the equation break out, right? And then, again, once they are good... Now what? You have to only add from that first offseason? What if what if they what if this happens in two thousand twenty, let's say. Certain players come up, some of them are good, some aren't, and we still have a giant hole at, let's say, third base and I don't know, top of the rotation, right? You're saying that in two thousand twenty in that offseason, that's the offseason you're gonna add a third baseman? 
What if there aren't any good ones available? I mean, look at this offseason, for example. There aren't any good shortstops available, really. right? I guess Machado plays shortstop, but, like, you know, it's not like there's a Xander Bogarts this offseason. There might be next offseason. But it's it's another point that there's there's not always what you need available every offseason. And so a plan predicated on getting good and then surrounding your team with talent is one that is setting yourself up for failure because you're not guaranteeing yourself the ability to improve where you need to improve that offseason. Right? Rather than doing the opposite, which is having stud superstars, calling up players and building around those superstars and homegrowing your own superstars to continue the path forward and then supplementing it with small additions here and there, which are easy to do because they're more plentiful during the free agent period and you have much more flexibility. They're going with a plan that will require them to maybe burn a year when the players come up and are good and aren't surrounded by enough talent because they didn't proactively sign them or B, force themselves into a 2015 scenario where they now have to go improve players with this very selective free agent market, right? So I think this is a, a bad plan, and I think it's terrible that Fowler phrases it that there are only one of two things that they can do when there's a giant spectrum of different <laughs> ways you can play games, right? This is a game. Baseball's a game. There's a lot of different ways you can play games. There aren't very many rules for when you can sign players and how. Uh, so to simplify it into two different scenarios is a bit... Uh, wrong. And I also love that Seidler says this is going to come to get together in the next couple years and over the next decade. So the three to five years they asked for initially, that wasn't enough. Now we need a next decade after six years. Uh, I don't think I'll be on board. If it takes another decade, I think I'll have moved on to other things. All right, on to the next section, improving the ballpark. We've talked about a little bit of this, but um, let's touch on it a little bit more in detail. Quote, while waiting for that plan to come to fruition, the Padres set out to improve a facet of the fan experience they can control right away. Since 2014, the Padres have made more than $40 million in stadium improvements, including the big scoreboard and LED ribbons, new public address system, right field scoreboard, solar panels, and LED sports lights all around the ballpark. They are also in the midst of spending approximately $13 million over a five-year period through 2022 for structural steel refurbishing. The biggest portion of the Padres' operating expenses of more than $68 million per year, which covers virtually every department that isn't baseball-related, is ballpark maintenance. The Padres pay between 78% and 83% of the maintenance costs over the past four years, a portion ranging from a low of around $14.5 million to a high of nearly $20 million, $22 million, with the city paying the rest. All right, so just to um, point out some of this. So, again, the Padres are required, by the agreement they have with the city when they got the ballpark, to make these improvements. And so I'm just going to read to you. The definition in that joint use, uh, in, in the Juma agreement they have with them, the definition of ballpark management. So there's a paragraph here that says, quote, all repairs, maintenance, improvements, and the security the potteries are required to provide under Article 7, including all personnel, materials, supplies, equipment, and services necessary, therefore, and all management and planning in respect thereof at a level consistent with the first-class facility. This is what they're required to do. They're required to keep it a first-class facility. The fact that it hadn't been or that they um, believe that there are reasons they need to improve certain uh, aspects of it means that the owners before them, which they purchased the team from and knew the situation when they purchased it, presumably did not take care of this end of the agreement. Or uh, the Morag group, who uh, Fowler was a part of, didn't keep up their end of the agreement. Fowler should have had an intimate knowledge of that, and certainly they knew this when they purchased the team, that this was an ongoing part of the fact that they have this ballpark, that they have to 
make these capital improvements and to cry poor about it just rings again it just rings empty it's like we either had no team or we built you this ballpark you can't now sit there and complain about the ballpark it was an agreement we mutually came to as you know as a city and, and a franchise so um these sort of complaints don't do anything for me. So uh, next paragraph, quote, they grossly underestimated how much it was going to cost to maintain this park at the time it was built, said Sadia, who joined the Padres in January 2013. Our goal when we took over, Fowler said, was over the next 10 years to get the ballpark looking like it was five years old and keep it there. To that end, they have other projects planned or in the works, including remodeling in the Omni Club and replacing 6,200 seats. They moved up to the distribution of those expenditure and the bulk of the steel work, said Fowler. Quote, we can't have that much of that expense out there in 2020 and 2021 when we're starting to build. Oh, God. So we moved some money forward for this year, end quote. Oh, man. Okay, so uh, I just want to highlight that last part here. When, we, when we're starting to build in 2021 and 2020. So, you know, that clearly goes against the whole uh, they're in a building process, not rebuilding, um, you know, terminology that ownerships used the last few years. Now they're going to say they're going to starting there. Fowler says, oh, my God, out there in 20. I'm, I'm sorry. I I read through this article, but I didn't catch every single point the first time I ran through. Uh, wow, that's incredible. Um, all right. I'm just going to leave that where it is and continue. Quote, the Potter's initial budget projections for 2019 had them losing upwards of 16 million. They have that number down to between 8 million and 9 million. They will call on their line of credit to get to even. Their payroll for 2019 is pretty close to set. Fuck. Though Fowler allows it could grow if Preller convinces him a player or players would help them substantially. The Padres remain actively listening and trying to work trades. But making a move that greatly increases payroll now is highly unlikely. Okay, so just to clear clarify, the Padres' active 25-man payroll right now is $55 million. That's the amount of money for players that will be on the field this year. They have more money they're paying. They're paying Hector Oliveira, who they got for Matt Kemp when they dumped Matt Kemp's contract on the Braves. They're still paying a little bit of Jed Jerko's contract that they uh, traded away for John Jay uh, a little bit reactionarily. And uh, there's other a couple other things of dead money, which add up to, I believe, their payrolls in the 80 millions. And it's not that high. And so uh, to say they're now losing money and can't add to an 80 million... $80 million payroll in 2019. That's incredible. It really is. Like, um, I, so I have all the major league payrolls up for a long period of time. $80 million. How far back do you think we have to go to see when the Dodgers last spent $80 million? Let, Let's see. Let's see here. 2015, $272 million. All right, I'm just going to scroll down to, like, the – let's see here. A long time ago. $94 million in 2010 for the Dodgers. Okay. $100 million. This is terrible. It has been so long since like eighty million was an acceptable amount of money. Like the Oakland Athletics spent eighty million dollars in two thousand seven. <laughs> the, the fucking Oakland Athletics spent eighty million dollars in two thousand seven, and that's pretty much what we're at right now. We're actually our active payroll, like I said, fifty five million. That's less than uh, John Moore spent in two thousand seven. That, that was at least fifty eight million. Uh, and then if you go back to two thousand six, the Potters were at seventy million. So they're spending more on their active payroll in 2006 than we're spending in 2019, 13 years later. Um, yeah, this isn't. That's absolutely incredible that they believe they can't spend more money than that. They should not own a major league team. They should. They should sell the team. And Fowler should resign. All right, continuing. 
Quote, the extended time frame pains Fowler, whose desire to win is tempered only by his love of debt reduction and his dogmatic faith that the latter will help lead to the former. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's uh, well, his love of debt. <laughs> this needs the uh, that meme um, where it's the dude walking with his girlfriend checking out the other girl. And the other girl needs to beat debt reduction. And I think that his girl needs to be desire to win or winning. This is incredible. Right. It is likewise difficult for Cedillo, a, long life, a lifelong baseball fan and self-described, quote, wannabe GM, though her numbers-based belief in the soundness of the plan tempers her discontent. The 50 to 60 hours a pair spends each fall winnowing down numbers and lining up budget projections serve to convince them splurging for a player before the right time is the wrong thing. Okay, so what happened last offseason? With I don't get it. This is not this is not a four-year plan because they broke the plan to sign Hausmer. This is them bullshitting an excuse to get us to believe that they actually know what they're doing and that's why they're not spending. This is not a coherent plan because other, like that makes no sense. The 56, 50 to 60 hours the pair spends each fall. So that would be more than one fall. So that would have been yeah, – that would include the prior fall, which was before they signed Hosmer. So this makes no fucking sense. This doesn't make any sense. All right. That quote, that's abandoning the process we signed up for, Fowler said. I would say Rhonda and I are probably two of the most frustrated people because we're fans first and happen to work for the baseball team second. Get the fuck out of here. So our patience level is not the same as a lot of people. I don't agree with that. And with that, that's the end of the, the whole thing. So so what is this? Let me, let's recap this whole thing. Uh, so I think this is born out of – I think there must be some real discontent if the Padres – like the, the Padres recognize there is real discontent if they've gone ahead and done this. So – I'm trying to understand what it is they're trying to achieve with this. My guess or my intuition, just going through everything that's written here, is they're trying to explain their frugality in a way that makes them look smart, right? That it's it's smart not to spend, and here are the reasons why. We think we need to wait for this, and we need to wait for that. And I broke down why that doesn't make sense, right? Again, they're setting themselves up for the same scenario that played itself out in 2015 where – uh, they have to add players very quickly in a limited ability to do so because it's one off season that they're requiring this to happen. Um, so that's obviously that's a, a clear logical fallacy. They've also made a good attempt to explain the frugality by pointing at the ballpark, which we've broken down pretty succinctly. So they're kind of complaining about Petco Park. I think that's a main a main thing. They're complaining about their their situation at Petco Park. And all the things they had to do to Petco Park. They're complaining about debt they knew about when they purchased the team and were a part of prior to purchasing the team officially and becoming the you know the face of the ownership group. Uh, what else? What What is the other main point here? I mean, they're trying to make it seem like they actually have a coherent plan, right? I mean, that's the third part of this article was that they believe they have a, a coherent plan for four years. It started... In 2015, ignoring everything else before then, that doesn't make any sense, right? It's very easily disputable based on their words. And again, I can't help but go back to the final paragraph there when they say the spare, the 50 to 60 hours the pair spends each fall, which would have included last fall, not this 2018 one, but the 2017 fall which would have been before they signed Hosmer. So somehow Hosmer was the right... No, th this is just bullshit. I'm pretty sure this is all 
it's just them really grasping for a way to explain discontent this offseason. I think they miscalculated maybe a couple things. I mean, they throw Preller under the bus, so I'm, I'm guessing they believe they would be good by now. They're disappointed they're not. They're making themselves seem like there's reasons for why they're not being the ballpark debt, which we don't accept as an excuse, uh, and that it's not the right time to spend. I think the fact they threw Preller under the bus here says a little bit towards that end. But I think, by and large, the whole plan they point at doesn't make any sense. And so I think this is just garbage that they invented in thin air over the course of a week to make it sound good. All right. And make themselves look good. I think that's all this is. Um, but there's just so much garbage in here. I really wish I could spend more time on this. But I don't want to have to parse this down anymore. I'm going to have to take out at least an hour from what I've recorded. There might be a couple cuts you hear here. But in any case, um, this is extremely frustrating, right? I mean, this is literally the team saying they're not going to sign Harper or Machado and that they're not going to sign players until they believe the young players are up and playing well. And they might burn a season in the process because the players might come up and win 82 games when they would have won 90 with decent veteran players. So uh, what I'm getting from this is that I'm not going to watch or go to any baseball games this year. I hope you follow me on that. And uh, we need new owners. Okay, well, I think that's going to do it for now. Um, I'll try to get Jag off on maybe tomorrow, maybe Monday, and we'll go over this in even more detail. I'm sure there's a lot of other great opinions out there on Twitter that I um, did not include here. In fact, I didn't really include any ones yet, but uh, I'm sure there's many other things that I've glossed over that are important details that uh, will be worth talking about all right uh, until next time guys uh i'm not even gonna say go padres later